0: Hi, I'm Billy Shore. Welcome back to Add Passion and Stir. It's our weekly conversation about food, passion, and making a difference in the world. And today our guest is Julia Tershen. She's the best-selling author and food writer and political activist. Julia, I know you wear many hats and we're going to talk about all of that on today's uh, episode of Add Passion and Stir. Thanks so much for being with us.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm really excited to talk to you.
0: Julia, I love to talk to writers because uh, I've tried at different times to be a writer myself and have done a few books which have been connected to the work of Share Our Strength. And I know that, um, you know, you're very well known for your book now and again. And you've got a new book coming out, I think, on March 2nd called Simply Julia. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, that's all accurate. (laughs) Uh,
0: uh, Well, let's let's just start by how did you become a writer and a food writer and cookbook writer in particular?
1: Mm. I became a writer and particularly a food writer because I don't think I ever gave myself any other option. <laughs> um I it, grew ordained? Yeah, pretty much. Um I grew up uh in New York and both my parents worked in publishing, so I grew up surrounded by print media. I grew up surrounded by magazines and books and and people who made them. Um you know, it was very clear to me from that exposure early on that making um, you know writing and pictures and putting those things together on the page that was an occupation that was something that many people did and had a part in so i think that was kind of like ingredient number one um ingredient number two was that i've loved to cook since before i can remember i've always been drawn to the kitchen I can only describe it as like a magnetic pull. It's it's always where I wanted to be and I've always just loved food and paid close attention to it and you know I really never watched cartoons. I was watching PBS cooking shows. I I went to summer camp for most of my childhood, like a sleepaway camp and I would have my mother mail me my my uh you know subscribed copies of of food magazines to wow. camp. So you
0: you were hardcore.
1: Yeah. Like I couldn't wait to get home to read them. I, for a long period of time in middle school, I've always lived with, you know, a pretty decent amount of anxiety, um, which I'm happy to talk about if you'd like. And I used to, yeah, like during my kind of, I don't know, maybe 10 to 15 years old, like I wouldn't be able to fall asleep if I didn't read a cookbook. It was like the most comforting thing to me. So I've had this lifelong interest in making cookbooks and i feel like i'm one of those incredibly um you know just rare and and lucky people who have known what they wanted to do for a long time and have gotten to do it and so i just feel incredibly grateful and um yeah some logistics of how i came to do what i do is i studied writing um you know a question i get asked a lot is did i go to culinary school and i didn't and i i had a liberal arts education i studied writing and In particular, I actually study poetry, which I think um, has really laid a lot of groundwork for the work I do, and maybe like a slightly unexpected way. Like I think of every recipe I write as a poem. It's, you know, this short economic form. It's very descriptive. Um, This also might be my way of justifying spending quite a lot of money studying poetry. (laughs) Um, I'm not really sure, but. Anyway, that's kind of, um, I could go on and on, but I'll, I'll leave it there. But this is the work I'm doing is work. I've, um, I think been, you know, laying, you know, seeds for, for a very long time.
0: And, uh, we're going to come back to food in a minute, but have you stayed into poetry?
1: You know, I, I ha- I read a lot of poetry. Um, I any favorites it, We should know about, I mean, I, I love Mary Oliver, um, very, very much, um, I, I'm a big Wallace Stevens fan. Um, I don't know. There's a lot of poems my mom emails me <laughs> that I just love. Um, I'm looking at one of my favorite poems that I have pinned above my desk, which I'm looking at right now, is a Billy Collins poem called Envoy, which is about when a book is done <laughs> and you send it out into the world. So. Yeah, I love a lot of different poets, and I'm very comforted by poetry, um, and I, I turn to it often. I don't write as much poetry as I used to. Um, every now and then I do, but I think it's, I kind of think about poetry as a lens to look through the world. So even though I don't make my living as a poet, I don't know that many people do, <laughs> um, but even though I don't write poetry that often anymore, I I, I like to think of myself as a poet going through the world, because I think poets just pay close attention to like small details, which is I think very much what I do as a cookbook author.
0: Poets have amazing sensibilities. And the three that you mentioned, Wallace Stevens, uh, Mary Oliver, Billy Collins, uh, all favorites. Um, also uh, Ted kooser I don't know if you know him, but um, he was a poet laureate that I got to know a little bit. And I was gonna ask if Wendell Berry makes, makes your list.
1: Yeah, totally. And there's so many other, I mean, as we're talking, I'm like, oh, my gosh, there's so many I'm not even naming. I mean, Nikki Giovanni is, um, I just think, you know, a national treasure. <laughs> um, there's so, so many. And I think, you know, it, it is, um, I think it's a gift to live amongst poetry and to have, you know, all those perspectives to help us navigate, especially, you know, times like what we're living through right now.
0: We have a super talented poet on our staff at Share Our Strength named Chuck Schofield. Uh, he's been with us 20 years, and I'm just saying his name out loud here because people are going to read his poetry someday. He's been mm. writing it for a long time. I hope he's on the cusp of uh, publishing it, um, and I think it uh, fits in with many of the poets you've described. But let's go back to to food. Now, um, did I read that your uh, grand Parents had a bread bakery so this food this passion for food goes back generations
1: yeah no I I appreciate you've done your homework yeah my mother's parents um, who are immigrants to this country um, they ran a bread bakery in Brooklyn um, bread and cakes and cookies and lots of like old Jewish favorites and my mother and her sisters my aunts all grew up in the bakery and the stories about the bakery loom very large in my family I never got to know my maternal grandparents, they they passed away long before I was born. Um, But I feel an incredible tether to them in my life, not just in my work, but just in my day to day life. Um, Their commitment to community was a big part of what they did. Um, And just sort of weaving themselves into a neighborhood and building a life and building, you know, a new life. Um, These are things I think about often. And I think about their lives, even though, you know, we didn't get to overlap. Um, you know, they are just central <laughs> to me. And um, yeah, I'm looking at right now, I'm just telling you about all the things on my desk that I'm looking at. I, I, I work surrounded by lots of objects. And one is like a little piggy bank from the bakery that my mom gave me um, a long time ago. And it still has some coins in it. There's no way to get them out. <laughs> and, you know, I, I think often about like, you know, how old those coins must be. But um, yeah, the bakery was called Ratchick's and it was on Avenue J in Brooklyn.
0: Um, we're, sometimes the uh, Wall Street Journal Magazine is gonna have to do one of those, you know how they do those pictures of someone's desk and you describe all the objects on it. I, I, <laughs> I, I see those, I, I, it sounds like you're ripe for that.
1: I, I just if if that were ever to happen, it would have to be a very long piece because <laughs> I really like my my home office is where all of my um, collecting and, and nostalgia come in. So, <laughs> yeah, no. we would have to put aside a lot of space for that. <laughs>
0: uh, we're having this conversation almost you know ten months into this terrible pandemic, and I'm really curious as to how it's changed the way you think about food. If it has, it's, it's, uh, I know for a lot of folks, it's changed their relationship to food a little bit. Um, I've mentioned before on this podcast that, you know, we've started uh, a garden like a lot of people have, and have grown a bunch of our food for the first time ever. Um, As a result of this, I'd read as part of my homework. uh, I read a uh, piece. um, I think that uh, Grub Street published your March 23rd diary. Uh, which talked about um, some of the anxiety that you felt and it was just kind of like how you got through that day and that was in the earliest days of the pandemic Mm -hmm. and from my point of view at least things have gotten so much worse worse in terms of the pandemic in terms of our politics Um, do you has it all changed your relationship to food has it made food more of a necessary comfort and uh, is your anxiety higher or lower than it was when you wrote about it on March
1: 23rd? Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> my anxiety is, is persistent. Um, I think it's changed and morphed as, as circumstances have. But um, to answer your first question about my relationship to food, I think, you know, living through this pandemic has, I would say, deepened my relationship to food more than changed it. I think it's it's deepened the things I already do. And um yeah, the the habits and patterns I have. Um, I One thing I did do, you mentioned starting a garden and growing your own food. And, you know, I'd be so curious to know just how that has felt for you. And one thing that I did um, during, I would say, the late spring through the early fall is, you know, so I live a couple of hours outside of New York City. My wife and I are in a pretty rural, like agricultural area, which means we live um in a in a farm farming region and we're really lucky to have access to just some pretty amazing farms run by wonderful people and so for i don't know maybe three or four months yeah late spring to to early fall i started spending a day every week at a farm run by friends of ours a farm who's you know we're members of their csa and I basically asked them if I could do that because I was finding, we were talking very briefly before we started recording about, you know, where I live and that, um, you know, I'm very lucky to have very easy access to the outdoors. And I find that the more time I spend outside, the easier of a time I have feeling really present, which to me is the antidote to anxiety. I think Hmm. for me, anxiety is I'm either, um, worried about something that has happened or I'm worrying about something that's going to happen. (laughs) And when I feel present, I feel my most calm. And it's not that, you know, challenges go away, but I feel I'm able to manage them better. And for me, when I'm outside and, um, you know, have access to, to nature and to just, you know, dirt and air and water and these things. I I find it just, yeah, much easier to be present. And so I contacted my friends, Sam and Erin, who run this farm. And I said that, you know, I'm I'm having a hard time, um, as we, as so many of us are. And I'm having a much easier time than others, you know, like I fully acknowledge that. And so I said, you know, I really need to be outside. And I am at my best when I have a task to do. Um, I love working hard. And so I thought, you guys run a farm, you probably have tasks to do outside, like, can I just come and help with whatever you're doing? And they were very kind to allow me to do that, um, because it required a lot of explaining and teaching on their end. But yeah, for months, I got to spend all this time working, you know, very part time at this farm. And I don't think that's something I would have been, I would have done had it not been for the pandemic and the world being, um, you know, on pause while also, you know, falling apart at the same time. And I'm, I'm so glad and grateful I got to have that experience and to really, you know, I've, I've long admired and respected and appreciated farmers. Um, I think that's just one of the most essential and, and challenging professions there is. And, you know, it's so crucial. To everything we eat, obviously. Um, But to really have that hands-on experience, to get to, you know, be on my like hands and knees with them, to, you know, pick endless pounds of things, to weed, you know, an entire onion field for a whole day, like these kinds of things. I just, I have such an appreciation for the physical labor that goes into the food we eat. And I'm, I'm so glad I got to have that experience. So yeah, I would say that's something that, yeah, I don't know if it changed my relationship to food because it wasn't like I didn't appreciate those things before, but it it really deepened um, my relationship to food in that sense. And so that was just like a personal experience. But on like a broader level, I mean, I think the pandemic has just put, you know, a spotlight on the inequality we live with. And I think that food is just one of, you know, I mean, you know this. And the organization knows this better than most people. I just think, you know, in times of great distress, we, we see all the places where society just splits and splinters and, you know, where we don't take care of each other. And so I think that has been, you know, on very, very clear display. And um, yeah, I've been involved in, in food organizations in my community for a long time. And so those um those organizations have shifted to meet the needs of the pandemic and um it's it's been really interesting to figure out how to continue my involvement um you know places where it makes more sense to put energy and you know less sense in other places all that kind of stuff so i guess right now is a time like any other which is just it it continues to move and change but i think those moves and changes are just Enormous these days and you know, they're not always on our terms, which is difficult. But anyway
0: Well, the experience on the farm sounds um, absolutely amazing. I you know, I guess my um, Version of that uh, in terms of how the pandemics uh, Impacted uh, me and our family is that I've been rooted in one place really for the first time um, since I've uh, Ever you know, Mm -hmm. I I, I've used to fly literally um, five or six, seven flights a week, every week. Wow, wow. 15 or 20 years, maybe 300 flights a year. So, and I was always, I was never away from home more than a day or two, but I was just constantly bouncing around. And so we came up to Maine during this pandemic and had the good fortune to have this cottage that my wife was able to purchase 15 years ago. And, um, you know, we'd never been here for more than seven or eight days at a time. And now we've been here 10 months, so we're driving around one day. And uh we see this little sign about the Kennebunkport Conservation Trust. It's it's literally five minutes uh from our house. We'd never noticed it before, literally five minutes. And it's uh the trailhead for twenty-two miles of trails wow. <laughs> through completely unspoiled property. And so, you know, my my strategy has been I'll I'll start working at four in the morning if I have to, and I do many mornings, if I can make sure that at some point during daylight hours I could take forty-five minutes and Go take a hike on these trails so that i i totally get what you're saying about being outdoors and about being present that way which nature kind of forces you to do
1: yeah i mean that's amazing you have access to that so closely and i think you know part of what you said really um resonates for me too about i mean i never traveled as as frequently as you did that that's a lot of time to be in the air, <laughs> um, a lot of time but, I, yeah, but I used to travel quite a bit for work and was always just coming and going. And, you know, even if it was just to, um, I don't know, a, a grocery shop for just tonight, you know, just like, oh, I feel like making this for dinner. I'm going to run to the store, that kind of thing. That's not something I'm doing now. I'm more, you know, planning ahead for longer periods of time. There's not so much spontaneity in my <laughs> my grocery shopping. Um, so all that kind of coming and going has quieted in, in my life. And it sounds like in yours too. And I think, you know, that feeling of, of staying in one place and being very grounded, um, you know, quite literally, like for you hiking, um, you know, I, I, take a lot of long walks, um, you know, I've had some time, you know, on the farm and that kind of stuff. Being grounded has been something I've come to just really um, not just enjoy, but also like depend on, like, I feel very antsy if I haven't been able to take, you know, a nice long walk. And I think that, you know, there's so much that um, has been just, you know, undescribably horrific about the last 10 months and and the loss of life and the preventable loss of so many lives is just, you know, deeply unsettling. And I think we've also had a lot of opportunities to, um, yeah, I think get in touch with a lot of stuff that I hope continues, you know, if it's for you and I, if it's, you know, getting to continue to spend this time outside that maybe we've learned has been, you know, really helpful. Like, that's great. I think just the nature of like when talking to family and friends about our different levels of, um, yeah, sort of uh, like <laughs> comfort or whatever during these times, I think that talking about like boundaries with each other, I think is like an amazing thing. It's something I hope we continue. So, you know, I, I do think there's, I'm always looking for kind of silver linings. I mean, that's, I don't know if that's how I would describe things right now, but I think there is a lot of good and it's a good reminder that there always is, you know, whatever the situation and we can, we can look to that and and learn from that. So, I don't know, that keeps me going. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Well, Drew, you raised some really important issues a moment ago about uh, the equity issues involved in food and some of the equity issues that the pandemic has, has, has revealed. Um, And, you know, one of the many appeals of getting to chat with you today has been to, uh, for me has been to be able to talk a little bit about the kind of the political activist, side of you um, you've you've also got a book called feed the resistance recipes and ideas for getting involved um, which was an eater cookbook of the year in 2017 and you're the founder of equity at the table uh, which uh, I'd love you to tell us more about and what was behind equity at the table I know it's a it's a kind of a digital directory of women and non-binary individuals who are you know at the center of the food world but um, what was the thinking why did we? uh, why did you need to start it and, uh, what's its role going to be in our society?
1: Sure. Um, yeah, I, I love talking about equity at the table, so I appreciate you asking. Um, but first I, I just, I feel like it's important to say, I mean, like I do not in any way consider myself a political activist. Um, I think it's, I just consider myself an active person. Um, you know, to me, that title is like reserved for people who, who do this day in day out. Um, and, I just, I feel a sense of um, privilege in my professional community, you know, as as we talked about right when we first started talking, you know, I've I've known that I wanted to work on cookbooks for so long and I've gotten to do it, right? Like there's a lot of people who have dreams of things they wanna do, but don't have the access or resources to do that. So I I feel like I've gotten to, you know, do this work I've dreamed of my whole life. And with that, you know, quite honestly like dream coming true I think comes a lot of yeah access and um, access to resources and I feel such a sense of you know if I have that access why not use it to provide more access for other people so that's kind of what I think about um, with my work with things like equity at the table so as you mentioned equity at the table is a digital directory it's a database Um, it is it's very much just a list of amazing people and yeah we focus primarily on people of color and the queer community and it's a place for you know anyone who's in a position of, of power um you know who's a gatekeeper of any kind so that could be a cookbook publisher it could be um a magazine or newspaper editor or writer looking to you know feature someone it could be someone who's organizing like a conference um and looking to you know, put people on a panel, that kind of thing. Um, it could be someone just in the position to hire someone for, you know whether it's like a food photographer or a food stylist or maybe a caterer, that kind of thing. It's a place for all those people to go and find people. And you can search equity at the table by profession. Um, you can also search by location. we have members across the entire country um, and in many countries across the world. And you can also search by identification. So how anyone identifies, for example, um, if you were to look me up, you know, you would find someone who identifies openly as a gay person. Um, So you can also search by any combination of all those things, um, which is really cool. So it was started um, almost three years ago. And so in terms of, you know, what it will be i I just hope it continues to do exactly what it's doing um provide like a really useful and and helpful tool um for people to connect and find each other and when equity at the table started i basically assumed something like it existed and i was looking for it because you know i had published a few cookbooks and i was um being invited to do some of the things I was just describing, like um, sitting on a panel at an event or doing a cooking demonstration, that kind of thing. And, you know, because I think so many of us operate from such a scarcity mindset, you know, that feeling of like, oh, someone invites you to do something, you just say yes, (laughs) Um, because it feels like maybe you won't get this opportunity again, or something like that. And I was trying to actively switch my mindset to being a little bit more just curious, um, a little bit more critical. And, you know, to ask before saying yes to an invitation, you know, I was very flattered by or, you know, grateful for, to, before saying yes, to ask, you know, who else is part of this? Um, Like, what is the bigger context besides just me? And I was finding so often that I was being invited to be parts of, of, you know, whatever it was, panels, conferences, whatever, that included just a lot of other white people <laughs> and you know i thought that that just wasn't great and frankly was like pretty boring <laughs> and um you know so i started recommending other people and i just kept thinking like well wouldn't it be great if just there was like a website you could just point people to and yeah as i mentioned i thought like that must already exist and there's amazing resources on the internet um you know things like amazing lists of um female chefs that kind of thing but i couldn't find something as all-encompassing as equity at the table and i couldn't find something that puts such an emphasis on you know the most marginalized people and voices um and so when i couldn't find it i just figured well like i'll make it and you know i had no idea what was involved in building a website like that but you know I am a big fan of like not doing things alone and um, you know I, I put together this amazing advisory board that helped to you know come up with the original um, categories and professions and all that kind of stuff. We had really amazing conversations about you know how do you even come up with a list of identities that kind of thing I also found um, this great web developer who helped to build it um, and you know all together we made something that I am just really happy that it exists. And I think it continues to be pretty indispensable for a lot of people. And what's really cool is when it started, you know, I thought the measure of success would be, you know, just about how many, yeah, people in power were, were using the site to hire or feature or that kind of thing. And, you know, while that continues to happen and is super, and I'm so happy about that, the other thing that's happened that I didn't quite anticipate, and it's really widened my understanding of of what success means, is how many members have connected with each other. Um, And I think that sense of community and sort of mutual connection, that's been really powerful for me to both be a part of and observe, And I think that's something that equity at the table just really represents to me is the power of what happens when, yeah, you don't feel like you're the only one. (laughs) Um, You know, it's a really simple idea, but I think it's like pretty profound. And I guess the only other thing I should mention about EAT is that um, it is and will always be completely free to join and free to use. And I think that's just really important because I think that resources like eat you know should be as accessible as possible so um yeah that's a lot of rambling thoughts about equity at the table but um yeah it's a site that i yeah i'm just so happy that it, it exists
0: and you can just google in equity at the table and you'll get right to it
1: yeah equity at the table.com and that's Good. that's it yeah
0: and what else are you doing to make sure people know about that the site even exists
1: um that's a good question because you know when when it launched, which was April 2018, um, you know I mentioned I at that point had um, worked on a number of cookbooks, you know, so I had relationships with people like magazine editors and you know people I had written freelance pieces for people who had you know been kind enough to feature my work. So when when Eat launched, I just personally wrote an email to every like magazine and blog and newspaper, you know, editor and writer I knew, um, and just said, you know, here, here it is. (laughs) Um, I, I think this is really important. And I hope that, you know, you not only check it out, but also bookmark it and come back to it and use it all the time. And so I made this sort of personal appeal to, you know, media people I knew because i just wanted them to know about it and use it and so when Eat launched there was this sort of like publicity moment um that you know i'm I'm not a publicist i was just trying to get the word out you know like on my own and i haven't seeked out publicity in that way for it since it launched but it's continued to grow organically and you know every Week when I check out the back end of the site, new people have joined, which I think just speaks to the kind of word of mouth power of it. But you know, getting an opportunity like right now, you asking me about it that's like a way the word spreads about it. Um, We have an active Instagram feed run by my one part time employee, and she's always featuring people from the site. Um, So that helps to get the word out. So yeah, it's very organic, it's very word of mouth. Um, And I think that has attributed to its you know, constant uh, ex- expansion, you know, we, we do, you know, bring on new members all the time, but it's it's been, you know, it hasn't been overwhelming. And I think it's, it's, it's growing at the pace it should grow. And um, yeah, I just love hearing that people continue to use it. So that to me is, is great.
0: Well, let's urge people to use it. It plays such an important role in our culinary community and our society at large. So equity at the table is the place to go um, to get a deeper understanding of what jo- Julia and I have been talking about. Drew, um, we've got a lot of food lovers who listen to Add Passion and Stir, and you've got a new book coming out in just a few weeks, March 2nd. Simply Julia, can you give us a little preview of what it's about?
1: Oh, sure. Um, it is my most personal cookbook yet, and it's also, I think, the most practical. I'm so excited for it to come out. Um, it is, it's It's 110- 110 easy recipes for healthy comfort food. It's actually more than that because (laughs) at the back of the book, um, I've done this in all of my, my personal cookbooks. Um, There's a section called seven lists and each list just has a bunch of things on it. So within those, you know, which is like 50 more ideas, there's a bunch of recipes in there. Um, So it's all, yeah, just as the subtitle says, all like very, very easy recipes, the simplest I've ever done and all for healthy comfort food. And I think a lot of what we're talking about today, um, is, is part of simply Julia, you know, the sort of like, you know, I, I wrote the book just before the pandemic, but I finished it during the pandemic. And so it's very much written from the perspective of a daily home cook, which I am for other daily home cooks. And you know, that everything we are talking about, about being in one place, um, feeling very grounded. Um, I think the relentlessness of home cooking and being kind of uh, sort of okay with that and, you know, embracing the days when you want to cook a bunch and not being judgmental about when you don't, you know, all of that as part of the book. Um, I mentioned it's my most personal book. There's things in this book that I haven't done in previous books. There's some essays, you know, some more personal writing. Um, There's a lot of like old family photos, you know, there's a lot of just, Personal story in the book, and I'm really happy to share that. And the recipes are organized, for, you know, for just like the most practical um, uses. So there's, for example, there's a chapter of vegan one pot meals. Whether or not you're vegan, um, there's a chapter of all like really, really easy salad dressings and sauces. So you know, you can just spruce up whatever it is you might have in your fridge. You know, maybe a rotisserie chicken from the store or <laughs> something like that. It Doesn't matter. Um, There's incredibly simple desserts, you know, things that require just like one bowl and a, you know, a baking pan, that's it. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's all my favorite recipes, um, from right now, um, for everyone who just cooks at home. And, you know, I know there's, there's many of us and we all have different needs and I think there's something for everyone in the book.
0: Well, I can't wait for it. And do you do all the cooking at home? Does your wife cook as well? Do you cook together? How does that work?
1: Um, so I would say, what is the breakdown? I I do most of the cooking at home, but Grace, my wife does cook, um, quite a bit. She's like really the breakfast cook in our house. Um, and we cook together once a week and we have for years, um, in a volunteer shift that we do in our community. And that is at a place called Angel Food East, which is basically like a very, um, Independent and local version of Meals on Wheels. We cook for a group of seventy homebound clients, and all the meals get, you know, delivered to them. And so that cooking that we do every week, you know, is on a much larger scale than just the two of us at home. You know, we are cooking for seventy people at a time, and I love cooking with Grace um, to do that. It's it's been such, uh, you know, like a relationship. Um, kind of enhancer. (laughs) It's it's allowed us to build some like teamwork skills that I don't think we would have if, you know, if we hadn't um, had the opportunity to do that. So that's kind of like the cooking we do together. Otherwise, we do a lot of like dividing and conquering in our house. And um, yeah, it's nice because, you know, as much as I love to cook and I have my whole life, as we've talked about, yeah, there's plenty of, of days and nights when I just don't, feel like making dinner. And I'm very grateful to have a spouse who will step up in those moments.
0: (laughs) I don't want to leave without talking about your writing life, because um, I I guess you're fortunate that writing is a big part of your job. Uh, Usually there's some trade-offs between a day job and writing, but uh, what's it look like behind the scenes for you? Are you writing in the morning or during the day or at night? Are you writing on a legal pad or on a laptop? (laughs) How does it work?
1: Um, I love this question because it's the question I, I am always interested to ask other writers because I think we're always just trying to find out how we all get it done, right? Because so few writers, I think, actually enjoy writing. You know, there's that famous thing of like, you love having written,
0: right. <laughs> but
1: not so much the writing. Um I I wish I had a routine and a pattern and a schedule um, and I envy writers who do. I'm a little all over the place. I, I write, I write very well when I have a deadline. <laughs> I love the pressure of a deadline and I always try to meet them because if I don't, I don't think I would ever finish anything. <laughs> um, and I Again, I'm sitting at my desk, looking around. I buy notebooks all the time. People buy me notebooks as gifts, which is really kind. And I never use them. I'm surrounded by um, post-its and pieces of, you know, copy paper. I'm always writing notes on little scraps of paper. You know, it's so funny. My my goal is to have all of my writing bound, right? You know, to make a book. But I tend to write on little. Scraps of things. Um, I'm always writing notes to myself. I use the notes app on my phone. I send myself emails all the time. And basically, I think of my profession as just organizing all these notes that I'm taking all the time into hopefully coherent sentences <laughs> and, and books. And I do a lot of writing just on my computer. Um, and yeah, I do a lot of emailing myself that I then copy and paste over to like a Word document. That's sort of like how logistically a lot of my writing works. And I try to keep someone in mind when I'm writing. Um, And the two people I think of most often when I'm working on my cookbooks are my father um, and my mother-in-law. And I do that because my father and I correspond via email very frequently about cooking. Um, He's always sending me notes like, Hey I have this thing I don't know what to do with it or I took this you know thing out of the freezer and I'm not sure how to give it some new life. And um, you know I'm regularly responding to my dad about that stuff. So that's how I approach a lot of my cookbook writing. I think of it like I'm giving my dad um, you know some thoughts on what to make for dinner. Um, and I like that that translates to like a very kind of like personal feeling in my writing. And I also think about my mother in law because she is the type of home cook who I really try to serve in my work. Um, She is someone who cooks at home pretty much every day, who doesn't want to spend all of her time in the kitchen, um, but is willing to spend a little bit of time. And I think she likes to make meals that she's excited to eat and, you know, feels inspired, (laughs) you know, to cook, uh, but doesn't you know, want to wash a lot of dishes or, you know, make multiple trips to the store or anything like that. So she is my like ideal home cook. And I'm always thinking about, you know, her name is Elaine. And I'm always thinking, you know, would Elaine make this? Like would she like this? (laughs) Um, And I ask her often. I send her a lot of recipes to try out and I get her feedback. So yeah, those are the two people I keep in mind. Uh,
0: It's so interesting the way you describe it, Julia, the four books I've written almost uh, everything in them, uh, was in originally in the form of a letter to somebody yeah. so that I could be talking to a person and not feel like I was standing at a podium or on a, or on a soapbox being preachy or, or, or something like that. Yeah. Um, but the, but the, the catch for me is that I feel like it's only real if I send them. So <laughs> I have all these people getting letters <laughs> they have no idea why they're getting them. Um, And it's usually just a handful of people that have now, you know, become acclimated, whether it's Chuck Schofield or my wife, Rosemary, or my sister, Debbie, uh, or the, or in many cases, my colleagues that share our strength. Uh, And then it's often sometime later where I look back and I realize that, you know, I don't know what, but of all the notes that I've sent in the last uh, year or two, 80% of them have a common theme that I probably didn't even notice when I
1: Mm.
0: set out. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then I, kind of gather in all those little you know I think of them as bricks that need you know mortar to hold them together then I kind of gather them up and and start to put them together but in the same way I find that if you're writing to a a person and you're I mean you're just basically keeping it real it's got a tone that you aspire to and when I read your writing I can now that you say it I can see that your writing is so accessible and so elegant and so you know it's like It's like you're in conversation with me when I read it, which is Mm. I think, you know, what a writer should strive for.
1: Well, I really appreciate that. Um, It means a lot to me to hear. And um, yeah, it feels like mission accomplished, right? Like that's that's really, um, yeah, I thank you for that. And it's really interesting to hear, you know, a sort of similar process that happens in your work. And I think that's, you know, the best we can do, right, is to try and just connect with each other. And I think that happens one person at a time. And sometimes when you have the opportunity to do something like write a book, you can reach more than one person at a time. But for me, thinking about it as just one person at a time is really um, just a very helpful framework.
0: Well, that connecting is the last thing I want to ask you about, uh, because I know we're running out of time. But uh, we all talk about how food connects people and we all you know have a basic sense of kind of people coming around the table and the universality of, of food and of eating together um but i always like to hear um what it means to to each of the folks that i talk to and i know you've talked about uh you know the degree to which you know um you've created a your, your work and your writing has created a community of uh, of people who like to cook but when you think about how food connects people what what words would you use how do you how do you put that into words? Hmm.
1: I mean, it's such a huge idea, right? But um, one thing I think about frequently that always just makes me laugh, but I think speaks to what we're talking about is like, a bunch of people sitting around a table that has no food on it, like, that's a meeting, right? And like, no one enjoys a meeting. But you put food on the table, and it's a meal. And it's, it changes everything. It changes how we interact with each other. It changes body language. Um, it changes just the spirit of the conversation. And, you know, that's just like a, a visualizing <laughs> example that I think is really useful to talk about this this topic. Um, but I think it's something we've all had experience with. And, you know, a lot of this is, is hard to talk about during the pandemic because we're not gathering the way we used to, or it's not hard, it's just different, right? Um, But I think about, you know, the feeling of meeting someone new for the first time, whether it's, you know, maybe on a date or like a professional contact like a meeting or something um, and meeting for a meal like, you know, a lunch meeting or something like that at a restaurant. And it's always really awkward when you first get there and, you know, you don't really quite know what to do. But then the minute, you know, a salad or a soup comes, (laughs) and it gets set on the table. I think that we we change how we interact with, e- with each other and how we talk to each other. And I think that is one of the highest powers of food is it's not about the food itself, it's about how it changes the dynamic of the people who mm. are eating it together. Um, so yeah, there's a million different versions of that and things we could talk about, but that's, yeah, the first one that comes to mind. So, yeah.
0: Well, hard to say it better than that, thank you. Um, I am so glad we've had this opportunity, Julia. Uh, I want to thank you again for your work. Uh, I want to thank you for equity at the table, which is so important in our community. And I just want to urge everybody to keep their eyes out for your next book, Simply Julia, coming out on March 2nd.
1: Thank you so much um, for your time. I've, I've loved talking to you and I appreciate all the topics you brought up and you know, and the thoughtfulness behind your questions. And yeah, this was a really nice way to start this day. So thank you.
0: Well, thank you. We've been talking to Julia best bestselling author and food writer, whose new book will be simply Julia. You've been listening to Add Passion and Stir on behalf of our entire team uh, at Share Our Strength and our producer, Paul Whittle at District Productive. Thanks for listening. You can go to addpassionandstir.com to find previous episodes and you can rate them, rank them, subscribe and share them with your friends. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Billy Shore.